Tell me about your cat. You said on the phone he's badly cut. Yes, on his side. Okay, let's take him into the next room. Just sit him there on the table. Well then, let's take a look at him. Only it's not a cat. I thought you and said... And I think I should explain how he got his cut before you see him. Another vet, Dr. Liftlander, operated on him upstate unsuccessfully. Dr. Liftlander? Yes, you know him? Ah, yes, I see. I'm beginning to understand now. You're that kid Needleman warned me about, the Bradley boy, the freak we separated. What a pleasant surprise after all these years. You seem to have gone to a great deal of trouble to find me. The question is why. I would assume it's to thank me. To thank you? Well, after all, I made you normal, didn't I? You did it to kill my brother! Oh, dear. Hostility. You've got two seconds to haul your ass out of my office. I'm not going to be threatened by some adolescent punk with a smoldering grudge unless you've grown something else you want to cut off. What's in the basket? Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me. All you hosts gathered here. Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Well, I think we're about ready. Quiet, everyone. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell, welcome to Astro Radio Z.
I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Oh man, I I don't know what it is tonight. All of a sudden, I got um, I got a major like, I don't know if I'm pregnant or what it is, <laughs> but I needed I after I dropped the girls off tonight, I uh had I had a like a sweet tooth. I had to go get uh jacked Doritos. Holy and shit! Rainbow Twizzlers. <laughs> That's that's a combination. Holy crap! Yeah, I know. I I I wonder if I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> you ever get one of those? I, I, like, yeah. All of a sudden, you gotta just. There's just something that's gotta be shoved. Okay, this is gonna come out really badly, <laughs> but something that just gotta be shoved straight in your mouth, and you gotta <laughs> consume this shit. You know, Freud would have something to say about that thing. <laughs> But I know, I know the urge because I get the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, you get a lot of urge for cock to go. <laughs> I no, I did say I said something. That I did. <laughs> hey, I'm the one who set this up. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guilty <laughs> if anyone is of this right about now. Oh, Welcome holy shit! All. This month, which I've been busy. And so I haven't gotten around to it yet. Contributor and subscriber Mary wanted me to talk about with whoever I wanted to talk about it with Frank Henenlotter's Basket Case. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. It's a movie that I don't even need to watch again. I've seen <laughs> a million and a half times in my life. I did just in case to refresh it. But as I'm watching, I'm going, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Do you have it on right now? Huh? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> you rewatched it tonight, though. I wa- I rewatched it and also uh, Basket Case Two. Just cat, uh, yeah, number oh, two. Oh man, well. those are great. Did, have you ever seen Part Three? Once. Three was the, is the least rewatch that I have out of the uh, out of all three. But I watched the other two many times as well. I gotta say, I almost like Part Three better than Part Two. Three, yeah, three is is it is interesting. Yeah, yeah, three is actually more uh wild that well, three kind of is like they carried over from the third act of two and just went crazy. And then yeah, I, I dig three. I mean, uh it's been a while since I watched it, but I, I like the whole trilogy, but it's um, fun, it's a damn shame we never got a part four. <laughs> What's funny is watching like the first one, I'm watching this going. Man, you know, I mean, you've got people who who are into the cult films. They talk about it. But I'm like, why isn't this horror film talked about more in general? Because this is actually just a a decent, straight up fun horror film. (laughs) And maybe it's just average people. Maybe it's out of the consciousness now. I don't know, because I'll tell you this. This is like one of the top 10 horror movies of all time to me. I've seen it. All I I have the something weird video Blu-ray release. Oh, nice! Uh, that Frank put out. It's beautiful. Have you seen that thing? Uh, yeah, actually, the uh, the version I saw. Uh, my buddy, he's got his on his Plex. He had his Blu-ray rip of it. Oh, um, so worth it! It is so worth it. It is just uh, if you want to see this movie in a way that never was intended. <laughs> You watch yeah. that Blu-ray release. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. <laughs> There's a lot of them older movies where once you get the uh, Blu-ray version, you're looking at it going, oh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, nobody ever thought they would be watching this movie this crystal clear. 
No. Let's be honest about no. that one. <laughs> no, you, you start to notice the the nuances of the film. Man, first time I saw this movie, I'll always remember it. And I don't know if maybe at some point I had talked about this on Astro Radio Z, maybe. I'm originally from Chicago, like south side of Chicago, and they moved up to the middle of nowhere in um, a little town called Augusta outside of Eau Claire. And in that town, it's like a maybe a four block town, you know, average eye blinker town in rural Wisconsin, you know, where the main street has like four bars and a church, um, a grocery store, uh, Ace's True Value. And, and then a gas station and a subway, of course. There's always a subway. There's always a subway. <laughs> always a subway. And my mom at the at the IGA, they had one shelf of movies. And we're talking maybe like um maybe eight levels, where I mean you didn't get a lot, but there was an awful lot of horror movies in there. And they would always be like Okay, Derek, it's your turn. Go ahead and pick out pick out a movie for everyone tonight. <laughs> wow, that was and most of the time I would I would be good, but one night, one night I brought home basket case. <laughs> oh, that had to be an eye opener. <laughs> Let me tell you a little story about a man named Tom Carey. Tom Carey is my father, and he is one of the crotchiest fucks. You'll ever meet in your entire life. He's he can be the sweetest man or the crotchetiest fuck you ever met. And when it comes to like tastes and things, him and I are pretty diametrically opposed. Whatever I put on, he will inevitably within 10 minutes, look at me and go, this is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is, is that true, dad? Really? How can you watch this? This is so stupid. And he'll sit there and watch the whole thing. Of course, course. he won't get up. But we watched Basket Case and my brother Shane and I loved it, of course, because it's how do you describe Basket Case? It's just a fun little stupid, silly monster movie. I mean, it's a horror comedy. It acts like it's supposed to be serious, but it's not a serious movie. It's Franken and Lauder. There's always comedy is tongue and cheap. It's fucking gory, stupid puppets. Oh, it's ridiculousness. It was for however old I was. I think I saw this when I was 14, 13 or 14. This was like heaven to me. I could not get enough of Basket Case. And my dad, he looked at me and flat out said, Derek, you are never renting a movie for the family ever again. (laughs) Wow. Basically. (laughs) That that didn't hold up because my dad was no. he loved hyperbole. He loved <laughs> to procla- proclaim things that never would come into fruition. But anyways, basket case, that first time I saw that it left such an impression on me that, you know, I would go out and seek out tons of trauma movies and I would go and try and find anything that was like this. And when basket case two came out, I was jacked to see it. 
But then at the same time, when you finally saw it, it's such a different kind of movie from the first one. It's like Basket Case Nightbreed almost. It's a, it's like, okay, the the closest I could, like, approximate movie I could come to it or, or some sort of correlation I can make to it is like, you remember when Troma made Toxie 2 and 3 at the same time? Yeah. In the mm-hmm. 90s? It yep. felt like... Frank Hanenlotter got that Toxie 2 money. <laughs> you know, it almost felt to me like they were this, because I think they shot part two and three of Basket Case back to back. Yeah, I, I think so too. I read that somewhere where they, they were shot very close together. I mean, this, what's interesting, I found watching them uh, for one and two was difference in budget in, in like the first one felt like, you know, like a true quirky indie film. And the second one felt almost full moon level type of mm-hmm. uh, quality as far as the lighting and the sets and, and the makeup. I was like, holy crap, this kind of went a step up to like, you know, full moon level of 90s full moon level. Not, um, <laughs> not just some dude shoving his hands in a really shitty latex puppet that looks like it's about to bust apart at any moment. Right, you know, <laughs> exactly. The fingers are, are falling off on the puppet as you're filming. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a not, charm of part one, though. It, it is. Oh, no, I mean, it, it is. It's just an interesting, you know, and the fact that they 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 were doing a, you know, uh, events right after the first one, and it was made like what? Uh, eight at years least late? ten years later. Yeah, eight least. or ten years later. <laughs> It's like, so he's trying to be his young self and he, it's just not working. The puppet, I liked, I liked the newer puppet in two, but one, I love, I dug the design in one and I love the mixture between the puppet, how they have to fight with the puppet, which is always fun to see. <laughs> I always love when the actors have to fight with the puppet. You know, they do it better here than in uh, Hobgoblins, but uh, <laughs> well, that's not, that's not saying much, though. Um, but, you know, I like the mixture of that. And then you get a couple scenes in here where it's him in the latex makeup, his face. And then you get actually some stop motion animation. And what got me about the stop motion sequence where, where, you know, uh, old, ba- uh, was it, um, Belial. Oh, Belial, thank you. Old Belial is going apeshit in the apartment is they actually matched up fairly damn well. Yeah. The live action stuff that was in the room with the, the puppeteer with the stop motion stuff. I was actually impressed for a film like this. You look at it going, actually that works. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it does, man. The, the, everything about this movie is just silly as fuck. I love that puppet. There's something about when they show it because it's mostly, and I may be wrong, but it, just watching it, it looks like it's, it's somebody wearing a skull mask and somebody else with their arm shoved near the face, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's actually somebody's face as opposed to like, some animatronic thing so there's something that looks tangible and real about it regardless of the fact that the hands look all wobbly and they're crack the latex is cracking on it and it's it's barely inside of this basket it just looks like someone's propping it up slightly um the the scene 
that scarred me or the one that I will always remember from the original basket case. I mean, there's so many amazing sequences in fuck a basket case, but the one that I think really warrants thorough discussion, Mark, and I, I think only you and I properly can discuss this. Okay. This I've been waiting my entire life for this moment to, to literally have this conversation with somebody. I mean, here we are. I'm finally having this conversation, Mark. So are you ready? I'm ready. How does Belial fuck? <laughs> I had that exact question. How does he fuck? How where does he is he like um the dude from Shape of Water? And it's it's funny as I say this because I'm on Google, I type up basket case just so I have reference as we sit here and talk. And on the on the right hand side, it says basket case film series, then it gives the cast or whatever movies. People also search for guess what's on there? <laughs> The shape of water. Why do you think that is, Mark? (laughs) Because they have the same kind of dick. There's like a little sheet. And hey, folks, we're going to get way into Belial's fucking junk. (laughs) So I think this is just my hypothesis here on this. And I've thought thoroughly about this. That he has like a bone or a sheath. That when he gets engorged, as Drax would say in Guardians of the Galaxy, it opens up and he's got a wiener that comes out. What are what are your thoughts on this? I was thinking that that's the way it could work. Yeah, it was be a kind of a inside, and then and then when things uh, get wild, he he lets it <laughs> you know he lets it loose and it comes out though it made me wonder watching this again because you get that scene near the end where he i guess is having sex with, with his the woman with the huge breasts with with her, yeah with the woman with the huge breast you know he but he, he's bleeding all over <laughs> i'm like it is that from her or from him and if it was from him, then does that mean his appendage is bone? Maybe. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Well, that would be an in- that's an interesting idea. He's you know, literally boning her. Yeah, you know because and and, and I know it, we're talking about one, but when then when you get to two, you have Eve who can take it because Eve's <laughs> like like him. <laughs> that scene where they're fucking and their legs wear <laughs> off and all that fucking shit. <laughs> Because you know, after all, he's he's a head with arms, and she's a head with an arm and a leg for whatever reason. Oh, don't think for one second that somebody hasn't asked Frank Henenlotter about the fucking boning situation with Belial. Oh, I'm sure they have. I'm sure they have because I I had that question myself because I'm like, okay, I'm like, yeah, maybe wow. maybe his dick it was inside. And it had to burst through the skin. It maybe you know it's like a a coming of age thing for him because you know he seemed to be very against women until he gets up close and personal to uh, the one neighbor, and then he's all of a sudden like, oh look at that! Oh my god! All the characters in this movie. <laughs> that neighbor is so amazing. She's great in this movie. Oh. Kevin Van Hendrick, seriously one of the best comedic performances of all time. 
It has Dwayne Bradley in part one, yes. part two and three, whatever. Uh, you know, we're I'm mostly in part two and three for the ridiculous prosthetic work that's in those movies. Yeah. Th- with the th- house of freaks and stuff like that. Yeah. Those are just the over the top, crazy, grotesque uh, makeup effects and such more so than the story. Yeah. The first one, he he puts he puts in a hilarious performance in this. Like, uh, you know, it, it's funny because you know, watching this, I'm like, this film for for as odd and quirky as it is, they do a lot of things right. They don't overuse the the whole telepathy gimmick. Mm-hmm. You know, they, yeah. they they don't overkill that. It, and, you know, they, they don't overkill the, the whole thing of him wanting to be free, but they throw in enough and then you just get some crazy, you know, he just starts throwing himself literally into the role. I mean, when he was drunk, that was hilarious. I'm like sitting there going, is he, is he actually drunk? Did he actually yes. drink? <laughs> yes, they all are probably. And infamously, the one scene where he's like paying for rent. That wad of money is the entire budget of the film. Was it really? <laughs> Supposedly, that is the roll of money that Frank had as the budget of the movie to pay for things. <laughs> That's priceless. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, Frank Hennenlotter is an extremely intelligent individual. Like, mm-hmm. he may be making very lowbrow movies, what most people would consider lowbrow movies with Basket Case or Frank and Hooker or Bad Biology and, and Brain Damage and all these movies. But at the heart of them, he is a student of genre film and exploitation film. And there's so many references to, I mean, the film ends on like a, basically a Frankenstein ending. <laughs> yeah. Where they're I, hanging there by the sign of the hotel of Broslin and, and the crowd is below watching and, or it's all, or it could be King Kong. Is that a would- King Kong ending? I almost was thinking King Kong. That was what the first thing came to mind because you get the wide shot and they're both laying there next to each other. You know, you're just waiting for him to come out. And it was it was the mutant that killed the beast. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So good. Oh, fuck, man. There's so much about that movie that makes me laugh. The Um, cast of characters in in the apartment as as caricatures as they were they also felt fairly real like you're like sitting there going i could see this as an apartment complex in new york with these characters i could definitely see that fuck man this movie is as much a new york movie as uh, lustig's maniac like showing a period of time in new york Mm -hmm. that just isn't there anymore uh, oh yeah, it, it is so awesome to watch it. Like those, cr- the, those um, helicopter shots of the city, the music. There's something about the music in this that is just so grimy. Like I feel like I'm sitting in. I've always, after seeing this, I everything that I've done for my own films, it, or people ask me, is this like so based off a of basket case? Like the sound of things. I just like there's something that's so grimy about the fucking synth work in this this movie that I adore it. And it just like everything about the locations that they shoot in that hotel, um, those uh, office hallways, which seriously, 
did that doctor's office were they was it in a basement like a dungeon I, I think so. All I know is they use the same doctor's office for for everyone's. Every doctor had the same office. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it felt like it was some basement location. <laughs> they just, they just, hey, here's some empty space here. It looks like a doctor's office. Yeah, we'll we'll throw some nurses in there. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, just put some people. You know, the vet. And the doctor's office looked exactly the same, strangely enough. Uh, the only people, yeah, and the only people that felt like they were real people, oh, man, was the one lady doctor who ended up getting, uh, who was fucking everybody, who ended up getting all the scalpels in her face. Yeah. She's the only person that felt like a real people. Everyone else felt like they were from an insane asylum. Like every last person, like the girl he falls in love with, she is one of the weirdest individuals in a movie. Uh, <laughs> the whole intro where Dwayne, Dwayne Bradley, where he's running back and forth, talking to Belial in his head and running up and down the stairs. And oh, my God, this movie is so over the top in a way that and I use this reference a lot, but it's at that time. It was so pervasive, like that the whole high camp idea. Uh, John Waters early movies were very much like that, where people there's there's no subtlety to any of the performances in this movie whatsoever. No, and f- fucking Kevin just he throws himself into this thing. Yeah. Well, and I love how what you know, you start off too, like in the midst of things in the middle of things, uh, you know, it takes a half hour before we actually get to see, you know, uh, um, Belial. Yeah. But you get you mentioned the New York uh, time of of past the opening where he's walking through Times Square <laughs> and you get the one guy who's just trying to push uh, drugs out of in every way shape or form yeah yep. <laughs> and you see the the marquees at the back and I'm like wow those those days are long gone now. fucking grindhouses man oh man yeah because there wasn't just you know people might think oh well they're just porn no he walks past a shop a, a, a theater and they're playing kung fu films which actually yep. plays into it later in the film he shows up and i that's what i loved you mentioned you know how frank how he puts together the film for a b film this film is well laid out as far as how the story plays out with the locations. You know, you see the Kung Fu theater in the background. He actually goes to that later. You know, I mean, he revisits things. He, he actually put together a story that isn't just a guy and his, uh, Siamese twin, uh, (laughs) No, I mean this is a this is a legit ass movie. It's, it it's is. got it's got great pace. It's got a, a twisty turny story. It's a, a Beauty and the Beast type story, but with two two brothers that were Siamese twins, and one gets carried around in a fucking basket and looks like a pile of fucking turds, <laughs> like a Which, mangled lump of flesh. 
But by God, he's fast. Let me tell you. Oh, he's a quick motherfucker. You, you, you better you better keep your fucking cheeseburgers away from this guy. Oh my God, the amount of food he ate that was so comedic. It was so it was so great too because it wasn't used overused either. But occasionally he like opens up that whole package of hot dogs. Yeah, like just a raw hot dogs. Just throw, and the hot dogs are just flying all over the place. <laughs> He puts like 30 cheeseburgers in there. The cheeseburgers are just flying all over the place. He's eating it like Cookie Monster, you know? <laughs> it's like, Fuck, man. Basket Case 1 is a legit classic. Like oh, a legit fucking classic that I never get tired of. The sequels, I like them. They definitely are not up to the level of part one. But just because I just think part one is like kind of like lightning in a bottle. It's mm-hmm. it's a, a first film. It's got the passion and feel of a first film. It's got just the love and care of somebody just wanting to make something, you know, um, even though you'd hear stories of Frank Henenlotter when he put it, put it together. That would probably contradict what I just said. But it just there is a charm to it that very few of his other movies ever achieved. And uh, I love that fucking thing. Out of, out of the trilogy, uh, it is the one that's most rewatchable um, because it, it didn't feel overly gimmicky <laughs> like the other two, you know, the other two later on, like you mentioned, you know, it, the prosthetics are cool and everything for the film type of film it is. But for story and just overall, how well the narrative and everything's put together, the first one is really just solid. It's like you're watching this film going, but this is, you know. You you change the situation slightly, and you'd have a lot more people probably watching this film. I don't know if Frank Henenlotter was ever really concerned with breaking through to the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I I really don't think any of his films ever were concerned with <laughs> that. I mean, all of them are so fucked. Every last one of them, man. I don't know. Have you watched all his movies? Not all of them. I mean, I've watched uh, the Basket Case, Frankenhooker, obviously. Um, you know, uh, Brain Damage. Brain Damaged. I've watched Brain Damage. So. Have you seen uh, what was the Bad Biology? Oh yeah, with the with the uh, girl who couldn't get satisfied and the guy who had the monster penis. Yeah, she she would get pregnant and spit out mutant babies. Yeah, <laughs> that one was wow. That one. <laughs> That is legitimately one of the most fucked up movies I've ever seen in my life. Yet I adore that movie has balls like you wouldn't fucking believe for a man at that age spitting out a movie like that. That is just so raw and so offensive and so in your face. Jesus Christ, he lost nothing making fucking bad biology. Fucks given were zero. Zero. <laughs> the most zero fucks given movie you possibly could ever find. You know, there's no there's no way you're making this film going, oh man, this is art. And I know I'm gonna appeal. No, there's fucks given. He's like, man, you know what? You know it'd be great. A guy. <laughs> Yeah, he's whose penis busts through walls. Uh, it breaks off on its own and goes after. He's gotta people. have this pneumatic fucking dick pump to satisfy his mutant cock. So he, I mean, the thing's gotta be jerked off constantly. 
Otherwise, it 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 takes. If you haven't seen Bad Biology, we're going to totally spoil this at this point because it's about these two people who have mutant genitalia that end up finding each other, like through fate. Like fate brings them together. <laughs> she she has this vagina that is hungry for cock that constantly is it needs cock constantly. She gets pregnant and spits out mutant babies. Like within 10 minutes of fucking. And then she kills them. <laughs> and then there's this guy who has taken so much horse tranquilizer and penis enlargement shit that his dick is like three feet long in a mutant that he has to use a pneumatic machine to jerk off so that so that it'll go dormant otherwise it'll detach itself from his body and go fucking kill people (laughs) this is the plot of the movie god this movie's awesome So, oh my god, it's so screwed up. It's, it's fucked. It's, I, it's like the Titanic of of, of B- fucked up movies. movies. Fucked yeah, up it's movies. so funny. It is so funny. Um, but hey, I've shown it. I showed it to an ex girlfriend, and she did not like it. So. <laughs> That's Derek's, that's Derek's gauge, everybody. That's the litmus test. That's <laughs> litmus test. Date one, we go out to dinner. Date two, you come over and watch Bad Biology. If you don't go running out screaming, well, you know what? Uh, and then you're like, yeah, the sex wasn't that good anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I ain't that show. But <laughs> seriously, it was just like, that's a movie that if you don't have the temperament for Frank Hennelotter, it is going to, you are going to be like, there's something wrong with you. Why are you watching this? <laughs> They're going to be giving you a car. Here's a therapist, a number of a therapist. I right. honestly think you might need to need some serious help. <laughs> right. I mean, Frankenhooker walking into it. It's called Frankenhooker. Yeah. You know you what know you're what getting the into. Fuck this is going to be so you can temper your expectations. Bad biology, you don't know what the fuck that's going to be. You pop that on just some square. Holy shit. They're going to call the police on you. But you know what? Bad biology could possibly exist in the same world as basket case. I think all of these exist in the same world. Yeah. I really genuinely think Frank Hannenlotter, if he wanted to, could have all of these live in the exact same universe. I am convinced they are, to be honest. I, There's, it's Frank Hennenlotterville. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, with the way each one of them plays out, you could they could easily all tie in together. Just a um, weird, fucked up mutant world of Frank <laughs> Hennenlotter. Just a mutant world. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, so you've seen part two, you've seen part three. Um, you're giving part three the lowest, lowest yeah. score of all three of them. Yeah, I, I three out of low. I mean, I still enjoy it, but but one is the one I've rewatched the most. I've come back to the most. Two, in all honesty, I'm gonna say it. I have no problems admitting it. I watch it solely for the third act and 
<laughs> and because you want you because you want to see Belial fuck that mutant. That's why you did it. <laughs> because it's it's one of those things like it's like like it's just a train wreck. Like you just watch it as going. What am I seeing it every as you watch it? You're noticing more and more things, and you get more disturbed as you go along because you go, wait, is that a leg? Wait. What? What's going? <laughs> but Wait. Pound, the whole the people that were doing the puppets must have been laughing their asses off because these two puppets are just like you see the the cage that they're in slapping and oh my god and the the puppets their eyes are all slack jawed and they're all over the place and Jesus Christ that my problem with part two is that without part three it doesn't necessarily work it's not really a full story no no it's not. No, I mean, the, the two go together. Um, I mean, they're almost they're just one longer arc. It's just one movie that got split into two movies. Yeah, I, I mean, you, almost, you you could definitely tell that they the way they ended one. If he ended one there, you're fine. There, there was nothing that said, man, he didn't <laughs> want to make a second one. He never planned on making second one because he doesn't like sequels. Oh, and really? The, yeah. The only way that he got talked to knew it was because of money is because somebody showed him the money <laughs> and uh, let's make, he just made one big movie and split it into two movies. Cause that's what was hip at the time. Everyone yeah. was doing that gimmick where they, they got enough money for one, a lot of money. And they're like, well, why don't we make two movies so we could sell two movies? Well, so we've got Back to the Future to thank for that. Yep, you got that, that. Troma did that gimmick. Fucking Charlie Band really played that gimmick <laughs> up. Charlie, he, I swear he just had, he had like, everybody's like, okay, here's all our three scripts. <laughs> I've got a fourth one in the works. Yep. Let's, uh, let's count off all the fucking franchises. He did that too. Subspecies, uh, Puppet Master, Trancers. Um, what else? There are so many. Um, didn't he do that for one of the demonic toys? Yeah, demonic one? toys. I was gonna just say demonic toys. He did that for one of one. Oh, set of Jesus yeah. Christ! So many of those series he did that with. <laughs> He's like, I got you guys for a week. We're shooting three films. Fuck it, let's go. <laughs> Fucking trauma did that for two series. They did that for the Toxic Avenger and the Class of Newcomb High. Oh yeah, yeah, that they did. <laughs> It's ridiculous in the 90s, just trying to maximize maximize that buck, trying yeah. to get it. Yeah. Well, it, 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 what's just hilarious is Back to the Future 3 only did, uh, Back to the Future only did it because uh, Marty McFly, could, uh, Michael J. Fox could no longer pull off being 18 because he was like 30. <laughs> so they had to film him quick. Well, they, they did because, you know, the age he was supposed to be at, he wasn't quite selling it anymore. So they're like, ah, oh, crap, we better, we better shoot these back to back. Oh, man, I've been meaning to rewatch those. It's been a really long time. Like, there's a couple series I've been meaning to go back to and watch. Well, one, the Back to the Futures at work. Somebody was talking about part three <laughs> and how much they loved it. And it's like, man, it's been a really long time since I've seen part three. Embarrassingly enough. I think I've seen part two the most out of any of those movies. Wow. <laughs> it was on cable all the time. Well, yeah, they really, they got some serious play out of that one. More so than the first one. The Blu-ray collection I got is fucking beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, the Blu-ray collection, the trilogy I got. It's, it, you know, 
there's Blu-ray transfers. You go, oh yeah, these look good. This is looks like a nice upgrade from DVD. And then there's those films like the classic ones. Well, you know, you, you've done it. With, you mentioned it with Basket Case with the Blu-ray cleanup where you could tell they took their time because you're watching it and it's like watching the movie all over again because you're just seeing shit you never saw before. Oh, and fuck. I've, you know, I've watched Back to the Future like just oodle you know many 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 times over the almost as much as star wars i mean i just love the back to the future so i put the blu-rays in when i got it. i'm watching like holy shit i can see the sign back there and i'm like oh wait that's the shop that's closed in the beginning of the movie and now it's so i'm like i'm seeing shit in the background and reading mm-hmm. and read signs and you're noticing extra little details and i'm just like that's awesome <laughs> that's a double-edged sword though it it's is, a real so, double-edged yeah. sword because there's sometimes where you're like, like what you're saying is that's fucking real cool. And then there's times like when you, you fucking get the evil dead on goddamn Blu-ray <laughs> and you see all the fucking latex peeling off of everybody's faces on the Blu-ray. It's like, all right, dude, hand me my VHS fucking dub of <laughs> evil dead. I can't do this shit. That's it. Time to pop into VHS. That's just yeah. I'm. I can see the paint on the walls and the cake makeup on the cheeks. Nope. We're going nope. back to the VHS. I got a genuine question for you, and this is way off track. What is one movie that you've recently gone back to that you thought you liked that just did not even remotely hold up? Oh wow. Um, I don't tend to go back to too many, but um. Ah, uh, you know, you know what? I, I, I hate to say it. I, I love it. Don't get me wrong. But the, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, I remembered as a kid being a lot better as far as, you know, that it was now. Not so much as in how good of a movie it was, but yeah. production value wise. Oh, yeah. Did you watch the Blu-ray? Uh, yeah, I did actually. And that, that's what got me was I'm watching it going, wow, this was some low budget. <laughs> like what? You know, I'm like watching it going, I love this movie. I love the Freddy character. Don't get me wrong, but I'm watching this going, man, I looked at it in a different pair of eyes when I was a kid. Cause going back to it, I'm like, there are some things in this film that really date it and really show its budget. I'm like, well, especially on Blu-ray when you're watching it in high def. Yeah. I mean, and it's been restored. They've gone back to the negative. They've they've sat and done a cleanup work on it. It really does show. I think I legitimately think, and I wasn't lying when I said about the basket case that some of these movies were never intended to be seen this way. No, it was for it was forgiving for them to be even when, you know, they were shown 35 at movie theaters. Those that's not crystal clear. No, when you're at movie theaters and stuff like that, they didn't have HD projectors that were sending pixel perfect fucking images to screens in when at home. These movies were creepy because the fidelity was low. Yeah. You know, on VHS and stuff like that. Yeah, that fucking Nightmare on Elm Street was creepy as shit. You didn't really get a good crisp look at Freddy at all. Now you pop in that Blu-ray because I have the Blu-ray set, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, that ultimate collection or whatever they put out. Right. And uh, oh, yeah, that makeup work on part one is real poopy. (laughs) Well, that and too, you forget they didn't really do the modded voice of him. 
uh, you know, the lower scary modded voice till later you're watching this going, wait, that's not Freddie's voice, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you it, it goes right along the lines of, you know, the army of darkness though. Yeah. I mean, the evil dead, everybody loves Ash. And I'm like, okay, you love Ash from army of darkness. Yeah. You don't love him when he was a bitch in part one, <laughs> no, a complete know. utter whiny bitch in part one. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, everybody loves Ash from army of darkness. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love nightmare. Now, but I fully thought it looked and and was a lot better when i first watched it than going back to it now especially watching a lot of the indie stuff i watch now i'm looking at it going wow this is cool that this was an indie film that got wide release but at the same time i'm watching it going oh man this is this is showing showing a lot of wear you know i mean i think that's what what's interesting is uh, i actually haven't watched it and i i'm afraid to watch the 4k I've got like three copy, different copies of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because I love it. I love they put it. They put it out on 4K, uh, not 4K. I'm sorry. The the Blu-ray remastered high debt, you know, the oh, of uh, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. The 40th it's anniversary, beautiful. 40th anniversary one. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I've watched. I haven't got the Blu-ray, but I've watched uh, the HD stream of it on Shutter, and it's beautiful. Oh, is it really? Because I, I was beautiful. I was kind of worried about watching it because, you know, that's that's one of those films where it's like the, the grain and the lower budgetness of it is what helps add to that element. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. and yeah, like you mentioned, some of these films, you, you know, they lose their edge with that, that brighter bluer Blu-ray transfer. You're suddenly watching, looking at the, you know, even some of the classic films, you know, some of the big classic films, you're watching them and you get them on Blu-ray. You're looking at them going, wow, look at all that makeup and man those sets really <laughs> work that way from a different time that's why you know when you hear people saying you know we need to update these movies for modern audiences there's there hey that's there's a legitimate point with some of this like it worked for us back in the day because of the limitations of the delivery formats of these movies you know we we sit and romanticize vhs for a reason it mm-hmm. makes certain horror movies look grimier it yeah. makes them look darker and more fucked up oh yeah i mean the fact you can't quite see all the details or the grain you know i miss film grain <laughs> i miss legit film grain on on films and you know or the low quality the vhs uh look of some of the horror genre because yeah that added such an element to it uh you know i the polishness of it it takes just a little bit of the edge away because you kind of want that griminess like you have in, in basket case where you look at it and you're going, you know, you watch the VHS, it's like, holy crap. And then you get the nice crisp Blu-ray and you're like, holy crap. <laughs> well, the thing about the Blu-ray is though, it's still, I mean, he tried, he didn't do a cleanup work where he was getting rid of, uh, he was doing any of the smoothing or he was right. recolor correcting it or anything. Um, the colors pop like crazy on that thing. And there's still film damage on some of it. And it still has a lot of grain. So it still feels the way that it needs to feel. It's just you've never seen it look that good. <laughs> you just never have seen it look that good. Where I mean, the definition, the colors 
on that Blu-ray for that movie are just awesome. Well, it makes you though do appreciate the the puppet as much as it. Yeah, it looks like a puppet. There's some detailed work on that sucker. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I asked I asked you that question because recently my bud Eric gave me a VCR because he has this insane. I've ta- I think I've talked to you about him in the past. He's got that VHS dungeon. Yeah, and he just has stacks of VCRs. And he's like, dude, here's a here's a VCR. I I mean, I'm never going to use it. And you 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 have a collection. Why don't you sit and watch something? I'm like, dude, thanks. So I took it home and I started going through my collection again. And uh, I watched Spawn. Oh. Michael <laughs> Jai White, Martin Sheen. Oh, Spawn. John yeah. Leguizano. Yeah. Spawn. Yeah. Oh. Ooh, yeah, that one, that one does not, that one, yeah. That is one rough fucking movie. <laughs> I think when it came out, I must have been high. Because <laughs> I thought I liked that thing. And man, I, I must have been high. That is one of the worst movies ever made. It is just awful. It's it it is not good. No, it was it was kind it was kind of cool when it came out. And then you go back to it, you're like, oh oh man, oh every oh. last '90s cliche thrown into one movie. Just yeah. horrible script, fucking terrible special effects, CGI in its infancy, fucking the editing of that movie give you a headache <laughs> it is awful awful john yeah. lake was Damo. i feel so bad for him for the things he had to do in that movie well it's funny because he was the big hook i remember that that he was the big hook for the film you know that he was playing uh, the iconic you know character the clown the and everybody's like, oh, check out this makeup. I remember they did it like a whole feature in Fangoria of his, you know, or of, uh, you know, in the movie magazines, you get pictures of it's John Leguizamo. Oh, yeah, Spawn's in it. But check out John Leguizamo. <laughs> I mean, that outfit, the way they portrayed Spawn with the ectoplasm and that really hokey ass looking rubber suit they had him in. <laughs> so fucking terrible. He could barely move in that fucking thing. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. Reminded me of the Giver suit in the live action Giver. That's so true. It's basically the same thing. It's basically this. Man, I remember those Giver movies, man. <laughs> Mark Hamill needed a paycheck. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember liking though, the first one, too, when it was out on uh, cable. They yeah. played it a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the big thing with oh, Mark Hamill and Guyver, you, you, I, I saw it on the shelf and it was one of those where I had passed it for a while. I'm like, ah, okay, you know what? I'll rent it. I'm looking for good to see, you know, see Mark Hamill. All right. I watched it. I'm like, what the fuck? That fucker was on Cinemax every day. I swear. It was like fucking TBS and Beastmaster. It was on every fucking day of the Guyver. Uh, you know it was one of those things where i've seen some other live action you know anime uh, live action versions of animes and i'm like you know there's some things that just don't translate 
well at the time at least not in the they, 90s not in the 90s they, <laughs> they, their heart was in the right place but these things just don't translate well i saw a live action version of wicked city and i just like oh my god oh i passed that one up i remember i had i think i have on like some dub vhs the um the anime oh. but i've never watched the live action version same I, with i've never watched that eric roberts version of fist of the north star Oh, I haven't either because that looks like some janky shit. Yeah, it looks awful. It looks straight up fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those where like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, hard fucking pass. <laughs> I, he was in that, right? I'm not wrong on that. I think it was Eric Roberts in that thing. I think it was, yeah. It's hard to tell because <laughs> there were so many of those like spinoff type influence i mean you know double dragon <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh here let's let's find out because i i can't i don't want to be wrong about this i thought he was in one in one of them it was it's eric roberts so it's got to yeah. be eric roberts okay here we go we're looking this sure as fuck looks like eric roberts who is this <laughs> nope no gary oh. daniels costas mandalore and chris penn Oh, Chris Penn was in Holy shit. Let's look. Let's go deeper. I thought it was fucking. No, that's got to be. No, that's not Eric Roberts. <laughs> Holy fuck. That guy looks like Eric Roberts so bad. <laughs> I thought that's who that was. All these years, I've lied to myself. <laughs> it, I thought it was Eric Roberts. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell is in this gimmick. Huh? Malcolm McDowell is in this movie. What is Malcolm McDowell? Come on. <laughs> let's let's go through this. Mar- Melvin Van Peebles, Clint Howard. Oh yeah. Downtown Julie Brown. Yeah, that was a big that was a big uh I don't think it ever got to I think that was one of those direct to video ones that just had the names on it. I don't remember it ever hitting uh wide at least wide release it may have got a limited but no that was a straight to video kind yeah, that of deal was, i remember yeah. that being on the shelves here's the first user review on imdb.com the tag is really unimaginative and cheap feeling it's <laughs> <laughs> the north star from 1995 no let's let's say this again no Eric Roberts in this game. No, no Eric. Derek's been living a lie all his <laughs> life. My whole goddamn miserable life thinking Eric Roberts was in this thing. Gary Daniels. I'm sorry, Gary Daniels. <laughs> I owe you an apology. <laughs> it's not, you know, well, you know, it's not your fault if he looks like Eric Roberts in the film. Yeah. Oh my God. You need to like. I almost feel like I, I owe it to myself now. I got to watch this movie. There's a If you Google it up, Fifth, Fist of the North Star 1995, the first image is Chris Penn with leather straps all over his face <laughs> looking like a fucking goober. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this looks janky as shit. Oh, fuck, I'll, I'll watch it with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I, it's, so. it's, it's one of those movies where you look at the, the cast list you're like oh they needed a paycheck <laughs> no shit well anime was so big at that time that they oh, figured yeah. they were on to the next big thing you know well the video so. game the video game movies too because they just happened to hit 
it in the right spot with Mortal Kombat. And everybody's like, oh, great. We, we could do these movies. All right. And they start cranking them out. And it's like, yeah. Fucking Mario <laughs> Brothers. It had nothing to do with like, like whoever came up with that thought they had seen like Mario Brothers on a on a fucking like standalone cart while they were high on fucking cocaine. Like, no, Dennis Hopper wrote it while high on cocaine. What oh do you think? That movie doesn't make any fucking sense. Double Dragon. Fucking Street Fighter. Street Fighter. Oh my God. Street Fighter. Oh, God. For me, Raul Julia, his last great film, his last films was not <laughs> Street Fighter. Street Fighter. The, the, the more we don't talk about Street Fighter, the better. That. <laughs> That fucking movie. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, so here I am. I have Fist of the North Star in, and just like I did with uh, Basket Case in Google, it shows more manga movies. Mm-hmm. And what are the first ones? Guyver and Guyver 2. <laughs> <laughs> there those fucking things are. Mark Hamill and the shitty Guyver. <laughs> Mark Hamill, who looked, like, who looked like he was just there to... He's like... Have I put in my days? Can I get my check now, please? It's just like a fucking amped up fucking Power Ranger movie. It's all it was. Oh, man. So, Mark, fuck, man. I I didn't I didn't watch to prepare for this at all. I may go toss it on after the talking about it again. <laughs> I just know the movie that well. I've seen it so many fucking times. Oh, it I, is literally a movie that, you know, Okay, this is, (laughs) I was about to say something, but I'm going to say this instead. Okay. You know how that one day we were, we were in a a movie theater and you were uh, quoting Maximum Overdrive line for line the entire time we were sitting in the theater? Oh, yes. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's me with fucking basket case. (laughs) That's me with fucking basket case. I would probably be the same way if basket case was <laughs> I, 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 Folks, I, if you want, if you want to doubt Mark the Movie Man's love for fucking Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> sit with him in a movie theater right next to him, and he he will squash any doubts that you may have that he likes Maximum Overdrive. I, I may have just watched it a, a timer timer a hundred. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I know I know people hate on that film so hard. And I'm just like, it's just one of those films. You know, you get those films that strike you, and no matter how many times you watch them, you, you know all the beats, all the light. Yet you watch them. Well, like you said, with bat, you are with basket. It's like, but you sit down, you watch, it, and you just enjoy watching it all over again. Yeah, it's fucking good times, man. Basket case legitimately is 10 for 10 big bonered explosion. That movie is one of the best things ever created on this goddamn earth. Every last person on earth should watch Basket Case at least 15 times in their life. At, at least, at least. I know I have shit. I've watched it way more than that. I imagine you've watched the way more than that. Yeah. It's like me. It's looking at me right now on my shelf. (laughs) I'm looking looking at at that fucking Blu-ray. I see Belial. It's looking at me. (laughs) Belial staring at you. His eyes are going to start growing. We have a stare down. It's like fucking Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef in the middle of a fucking uh, old Western town. (laughs) 
You just be careful if the eyes start to glow, though, which, you know, I'm like, I, just, I think I might be able to run away from him. I think I might be able to run might away be from able him. To. Might have the advantage on him there. The, the eye glowing thing. I, it was funny because it shows up at the end. I'm just like, you know, he was looking at the money in his pocket and going, hey, can we make the eyes light up? <laughs> but we didn't get any other shots with the eyes light up. I don't care. Let's let's make Do the it. eyes light up. Do it. Do, Do it. it. We got this oh. one last night of shooting in this apartment, so let, let's just do this. Let's make his eyes light up. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> don't know why. Don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Mark, is there anything you want to say to to uh, the listeners before we say goodbye? Uh, just thanks for having me on. Always fun to be here. You know, I got stuff out there, but you know, you can go to one spot, which is specialmarkproductions.com. That gives you links to my YouTube, to my podcast, which Derek has been very kind to come on every so often to do. You know, we've got other stuff up there as well. Uh, I started on my YouTube channel doing a kind of a record review show which is is slowly getting there but also uh yeah i got a patreon as well in case you're curious there's some exclusive episode stuff there if real cheap prices i'm cheap and easy but there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of content there i think i've got all together like 75 or 80 some episode things up there between uh along with the 5,000 episodes of the spoiler room that you've done <laughs> along with the 5,000. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, and, and within the next, I think within the next two years, I will be hitting, I know it seems a long way away, but I'll be hitting a thousand final cuts. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So there's that, I guess. So yeah, if, you're fun, if people are interested, I, I do this because I just love movies and I love being in, on the show with Derek talking, talking uncensored with you and, and about, uh, yeah, mutants, 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 mutants and how their cocks work. Yes. That's what we're getting down to here on Astro Radio Z. How do mutants cocks work? If you have ideas, listeners, let us know.
Listening to Astro Radio Z. Oh! <laughs> Hi! I'm Angelique. And there's nothing better at the end of a long day than a hot bath and a good book. Now, I'm not talking your highfalutin literature like your your Jane Eyre or your Wuthering Heights. I'm talking candy bars for your brain. The kind of books you'll find gathering dust at the Bilo or your local used bookstore. Books about monsters, ghosts, demons, werewolves, Dracula's killers, surgical abominations, or just about any other horror you can dream up. So, plug the drain, grab you a book, and come soak with me in the tub of terror. Hello, my bathing beauties. It's been a while since we've had a good soak together. I'm so glad you're here. (laughs) I just finished uh, Transformation by Edmund Plant and Wowzers. I need to take you guys book shopping with me one of these days so you can see just how I pick out my uh, tub reading. I'm a cover shopper, just like wine. You know, I'm not an expensive wine kind of gal, but if it's got a fun label and it's under, you know, 10 bucks, yeah, let's let's give it a whirl. But Transformations cover really, really sold me. It's got a lady on the cover and she's got a 80s kind of rock and roll mullet thing happening, you know, big choppy red with some blonde streaks in it and she's got a snake tongue uh, peeking out from behind her teeth and part of her face is peeling off and there's green seals underneath it and there are these giant green hands reaching over her shoulders leaving slime trails and the the tagline really sold it its intimate touch deformed her body. Its loving caress defiled her soul. So, oh, <laughs> yeah, we had to read this one. So transformation. Uh, it's the night before Sally's wedding. And she's a little scared because she thinks there's something in her closet. And she's not wrong. During her engagement party, there was this giant boom through the house and uh, nobody investigated it. Nobody decided to go check it out. They're just like, oh, whatever. Which, you know, you do. (laughs) But anyway, um, she goes into her closet and there's some slime glob from outer space that has landed in Sally's house and it needs a host body. Um, It uses its psychic slime powers and makes her crawl into the closet and she blacks out and it burrows into her neck. 
then things start to get weird, as if that wasn't enough. <laughs> so Sally is now a host for this parasitic slime ball, literally. Um, she hears it talking to her. She starts blacking out, losing control. She slaps the bejesus out of her dad at her wedding reception and, like, claws his face open. Then in the limo on the way to their honeymoon, she bites the crap out of her husband Brad's lip. And then when they get to their resort, they, you know, consummate their nuptials. And while Brad's asleep, Sally gets overcome by the alien and it makes her go downstairs and pick up the bartender and another dude. And they have a sleazy rendezvous in another room. So she goes back to her room the next morning and Brad's all upset because she disappeared and he didn't know where she was. And, uh, well, she tearfully confesses what she did and it wasn't her, Brad. It was the thing in my neck. And he's like, you're crazy and you're gross. And he leaves. <laughs> Which, I mean, if you're a newlywed and you go downstairs and have a threesome with a couple of strangers. Um, that's probably a reaction that any of us would have. <clears throat> anyway, Sally is, of course, devastated, and she's not handling living with this alien very well. Um, she has all these crazy dreams about this red planet, and it's hot, and it's dim and rocky and she's like oh no get this out of my head and the alien's like soon we will be one <laughs> um, but she's starting to change um she can't stand sunlight it hurts um she refuses to talk to her parents uh, because she is changing for real well brad after a few days, decides, well, I love her and I can't leave her. There's obviously something wrong with her. So he goes back and they make up. But Sally is really different. Um, she's basically turning into an alien. Um, she's slimy, like her skin is like a shark's, but she exudes this yellow yuck slime she's losing her hair her eyes are turning yellow her head bulges like you know those gray aliens that you see on unsolved mysteries um, and the thing has total psychic control over her to the point where brad's like we need to go to a doctor and the alien's like no if you take her to a doctor she shall die and Brad's like, oh yeah? And tries to sneak a doctor under the guise of him being a colleague into the house. And the alien picks up on his thoughts and like breaks Sally's arm and makes her bleed out of her orifices. Um, it was kind of brutal, that, that scene. And uh, this whole time, Sally's mom is, like, going crazy. And, and the author takes every chance to talk about how fat Sally's mom is. And as a uh, 
um, fluffy gal, I was like, wow, dude, what, what's your problem? <laughs> Talking about how the, the stool heaves beneath her and, you know, the car groaned as she got into the driver's seat. And I'm like, dude, if she's that big, she must be on a rascal or something because, you know, it doesn't work quite like that. <laughs> but anyway, um, Sally's dad is sick as well. It seems that after getting scratched by Sally, um, he has started to change. So the alien is spreading. So Sally's dad's turning into an alien. And at one point, Sally, like, busts out of the house and attacks these two girls. Um, Brad tries to figure out who she had her little tryst with at the hotel. And those guys have disappeared. Um, the bartender, noticeably, was getting sick and, you know, was having horrible headaches and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um... Sally is also pregnant now. Yeah, pregnant. And the alien voice is like, the baby is ours. And Sally's like, no, is it Brad's? And he's like, no, the baby's ours. Like, what? Ew. <laughs> and eventually it gets to the point where Sally's legs, like, dry up and drop off. And her arms draw up, so now she's got little alien T-Rex arms. She's got eyes in the back of her head. But Brad still loves her. Which is really kind of sweet, if you think about it. I mean, I would really love a partner that stuck by me through all of my alien transformations. Yeah, that's, that's real love. story short, Sally has just completely transformed and now she's just resigned to her fate. She's given over to the alien and life is good for Sally now. It doesn't break any of her limbs or anything like that. The baby's an alien. Her dad's an alien, her mom is now an alien, Sally's two sisters are now aliens, and certainly the people that she attacked are now aliens. Um, and Brad decided that if he gets to live forever with his lady love, that he would allow himself to be turned into an alien as well. So, and of course the baby is an alien. They're all one big happy alien family. So Transformation by Edmund Plant is like V.C. Andrews took a stab at Cronenberg body horror. <laughs> Listen to this. I've got to read you the, the epilogue because it's just ridiculous. <clears throat> it was five o'clock in the afternoon, the best time of the day. Black, elongated shadows of naked trees marked the snow. Behind the woods, the sun made its descent and cast a pinkish glow on the white ground. It was February, and it was cold, 
at least five below zero, but Sally didn't mind. She found the frosty weather refreshing. She slithered up a chair. That's right. She slithered up a chair that she kept by the door and turned the knob. Then she slithered outside, her yellowish nude body coloring the snow. She faced the woods and thought hard. It's a boy, three pounds and healthy. She waited for the news to travel, for it to gain a response. Soon it came. We're coming, was the reply. Satisfied, Sally slid back into the house where Brad waited for her. They're coming, she told him. He smiled at her, expressing warmth and pride. In his arms, he cradled the little infant, who, like a cat, purred loudly with contentment. Sally watched the two of them, her own joy and pride swelling. They looked so beautiful, she thought. Their shiny skin and golden eyes made her burst with love for them, and she had so much to be thankful for. At times, she wondered why she had put up such a fight with the alien, but then she had no way of knowing she'd be this happy. It was a delight to share a mind with a celestial being. It was very knowledgeable and was constantly teaching her new things. It could reach out to other worlds it inhabited and learn things from them. And at the same time, those other worlds were learning things about Earth. This made Sally feel very... What was the word? United. Yes, united. One big family. Going to be just like his old man, Brad beating down at the baby. Sally nodded, going along with him. Ten minutes later, a knock sounded at the door. She called out, Come in, the door's unlocked. Four shiny bodies slithered into the room. We've come to see the baby, Teresa said. I bet he takes after his grandfather, Ralph said. Sally's two sisters raced toward Brad, who was still holding the infant. They oohed and awed over the baby's tiny features. <coughs> Excuse me. Sally watched them, again bursting with love and pride. Then she went to the door. Before closing it, she noticed four rows of yellow tracks in the snow and realized her parents and sisters had traveled through the woods to come here. Someday we won't have to be secretive about our existence, she mused. We will all be the same, united. With that happy thought, she locked the door and joined her family. <laughs> How about that, y'all? I have to tell you, I laughed so hard at that ending. Just, seriously, if you find this book, go to your local used bookstores, find it, read it. It's totally ducky. It's perfect. It's short. It's nonsensical. It's just, you can read this in an afternoon. And I did. <laughs> well, my water's getting chilly and my fingers are all pruney. So I'm going to drain my water here. And I hope that you'll come hang out in the tub with me again for our next episode. Same bath time, same bath channel.
Some tales are told, then soon forgotten. But a legend is forever. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Now, from the producers of A Nightmare on Elm Street, the real terror begins November 3rd. You are listening to Astro Radio Z. I warned you that this was going to happen. I'm following through on this motherfucker. Here's another episode of Trauma's Hidden Gems. Now I'm going to say the title of this movie and you're going to sit there gobsmacked with your mouth wide open. Yeah, I know. That's quite a statement. But trust me, there's nothing that's going to prepare you for our first movie today, which is The Thingy, Confessions of a Teenage Placenta. I see, sir. 
I was a teenage placenta. You aren't God. By the way, do you still breastfeed him? is one of these movies that one I think is completely buried in the trauma catalog I I never hear a single person talk about it I know Mark and I stumbled across it years ago if you go back on his podcast the spoiler room podcast I think in 2016 we did an entire episode on this movie if you really want to get down and dirty and deep with a thingy go over to the spoiler room podcast and listen to the episode that we did on the thingy and it is something that both of us were just so like slapped across the face about that we watched it multiple times and it keeps getting better. What is the thingy? As it says, confessions of a teenage placenta. It is a living placenta that eventually grows and grows and grows. And it looks sort of like the theme of our episode today, Basket Case. It has a very belial look to it. The world it resides in is appropriately ridiculous and over the top. If you were to mix things of Frank Henenlotter with John Waters and maybe York Bucharest, you would get the world of the thingy. It is just complete nonsense from frame one to the end. It's dark. It's oddly touching. It's hilarious. And it's gross. And I can't really think of anything that matches the tone of those Lloyd Kaufman movies more than the thingy, Confessions of a Teenage Placenta. And this may get one of my highest recommendations here on this segment is that even for the trauma catalog, such an unsung movie that it's just a shame nobody talks about this. This thing's fucking wild. There appears to be something wrong with Mad Cowboy. Cut him out of there. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Cut him out of there. Cut him out of there. But don't damage the Mad Cowboy costume. Who asked for the chocolate pudding effect? This is still my film. Then I guess this is your dead guy too, Larry. This isn't chocolate pudding. The second movie today we're going to talk about is something that kind of had a minor re-release in the last like couple years through Vinegar Syndrome, but Death by Temptation was one of those movies in the 90s that used to play on cable all the time. I would see it. I, I don't I'm not sure if Joe Bob Riggs uh, put it on the drive in theater, but I remember watching this thing on cable quite a bit. James Bond III directed this thing, and I always thought that was, for some reason, my teenage mind thought that was really funny, that I, I didn't connect the dots, and here I am, a stupid little white boy in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Wisconsin. I'm like, he's the third James Bond? What? What? No, no, it's not. <laughs> but but this movie is an urban vampire movie, complete with dudes that look straight up like Billy D. Williams. And uh, Samuel L. Jackson's in this thing. It is campy, uh, like all of the 90s kind of cinema or skinamax 
flicks that you would see. And it's also gothic, oddly dreamlike, and uh, just a lot of fun. If you haven't seen Death by Temptation, you should rush out right now and check that thing out. And there's been a great re-release. It was it was on Troma's website for years and years and years and years for a very long time. And then Vinegar Syndrome re-released it recently. Totally worth your money. Last movie I'm going to talk about here today is one that I re-stumbled across in my pursuit of digitizing all my old VHS comp tapes that I used to go on to cable and record movies so I could just sit and rewatch them ad nauseum. Well, this movie I completely forgot about, and I was so glad I rediscovered recently, Frostbiter, Wrath of the Windigo. Something illegal's going on here. Holy cow, it's murder. Mass murder. Look at all them skulls. Where you going? I'm going inside. Man, let's just get the hell out of here. You leave my land. I'm not about to let some old bum tell me where I can't hunt. Respect is an attribute, my friend. One you should learn. Respect? I think you need to learn to respect a man with a high-powered weapon in his hand. This movie is bonkers and goofy in all the ways that we love trauma movies to be. Very, very, very heavily steeped in Sam Raimi. Like there, there's so much that comes straight up from early Sam Raimi. You, you would be shocked to learn that he has nothing to do with this movie. The camera just moves like the Evil Dead. The sound effects, the tempo, the comedy. It's its a wonderfully goofy watch. And if you like that style of filmmaking from the 90s, Frostbiter, Wrath of the Windigo, without me really telling you, obviously it's about a killer Windigo and a bunch of people hold up in a cabin and a bunch of other horse shit happens. You should just go pick this up if you can find it. I think it's on Troma now. I'm pretty sure it's on Troma now. It should be out there streaming, if not on Troma now, on YouTube. Totally worth your time. Broken. The wind. It, it whispers. Well, that's another episode of Troma's Hidden Gems. I'll catch you next time. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Astro Radio Z. As always, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and all the people and contributors that are involved with Astro Radio Z. Also, thank you for tuning in and joining us. So until next time, please stay healthy, stay safe and take care of each other.
shit, man. 